Welcome to the Light Shine Church Sermon Podcast. I'm organizing pastor Rob Douglas, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. We're back in 2 Corinthians. Uh, Chad read the first part of our scripture today. We'll get to the second half of that in a minute. But the question that I was considering and kind of exploring this week, thinking about it, is what is the best way to motivate a human being? So for fun, let's start this off and use that chat bar at the bottom of your screen if people have um, an answer to this question, making it more personal what motivates you? Um, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Or what motivates you to do the right thing even when you don't want to? Um, maybe we can just share some of those with each other. I'm going to share uh, one of mine. And as those are coming in, you can listen to me talk about uh, something that motivates me. Motivation is, of course, the incentive or reward behind why a person is compelled to act a certain way. Human beings are motivated by both intrinsic or internal rewards and extrinsic external rewards. And of course, there are many types within each of these categories. Now, anyone who knows me well knows that I'm a pretty simple person who's generally speaking motivated by my stomach. I love to eat. Now, when I was younger, this was fine. But when I hit 40, I realized that being motivated by food is actually a serious problem. So I developed a basic motivation technique that sometimes works for me, especially when it comes to exercising and working out. And I call it the gotta earn it diet. When I want to enjoy an ice cold margarita, and some baskets of chips and salsa, followed by a beef taco and a cheese enchilada. You see, I've got this order of mine memorized from the Latigo Kid, right? One of my favorite places in town. I might attempt to motivate myself to exercise first. No workout, no dinner. And then I say, I gotta earn it. As a matter of fact, I have a friend, Kevin Sachs, that used to, uh, he and I used to kind of play this game regularly on the weekends. We would plan this pretty extravagant, good barbecue, um, but we would always work out together first. We'd be in the middle of a hard hill climb on a mountain bike or a long set of box jumps and burpees. And this guy, Kevin, some of us know him, would be screaming at me, naming all the delicious foods we were about to consume if we could only just finish the work. Gotta earn it. Well, 2 Corinthians, where we're at, chapter 5, is actually really one of my favorite passages of Scripture in uh, the New Testament. Um, And Paul is going to throw out a motivator that he believes would really get us living out the way of Jesus by joining God in the ministry of reconciliation that all of us are called to. And the motivator that Paul says will urge us on is the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ that motivates us to join God in the mission of reconciliation to which we're called. Now, Paul sets all of this up in chapter 5 with the message, uh, the passage that Chad just read a few minutes ago, 
We all yearn for a place of safety and security from all of life's challenges and suffering. And Paul tells us that all the while that God is producing a place of permanence right inside of each of us. Now, to help people understand this, Paul uses images of buildings and houses and tents and clothing. You probably heard those things in that passage. And yes, it is a bit confusing. It is really complicated theology that Paul is trying to convey, but the bottom line of his message really isn't complicated. The beginning of Paul's motivation to live life to the fullest is understanding what we see right now in front of us is not all that there is. What we see right in front of us is not the full picture of what's out there. And he wants us to know that these temporary bodies that God has gifted us, the ones that experience so much of life's joys and sorrows that God is in the process of making a permanent or eternal body that will someday no longer be subject to decay and death. This is what he's trying to teach them. Now, Christians have, of course, taught for 2,000 years that the resurrection uh, of Jesus, that eternal life is not disembodied life, but that God will one day do for us what God has done for Jesus, that we shall be raised bodily. And Paul is reaffirming this belief that our mortality is even now taking on an eternal quality. We won't be left unclothed, he says, but rather we will be more fully clothed, wearing the same resurrection clothes of Jesus. The sense of permanence, Paul says, is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Paul wants us to be confident that God will do for us what God did for Jesus. This is what he's trying to get across to the Corinthians. He acknowledges that on this side of heaven, um, this is going to be really difficult, that we need to learn to walk by faith, he says, not by sight. This is never easy. People will think we're foolish, that we're ignorant for believing in things that cannot be seen. Welcome to faith. We need to learn to interpret what we can see from the standpoint of what we cannot yet see, but what is promised to us in Scripture. That the temporary is taking on the eternal. Deep down inside each person is this idea that we were made for something more than just what we can see with our eyes. That each person carries within them the sure hope of resurrection. And when we realize this, maybe we can learn to see not only God, but also ourselves in a whole new light. And so the question remains, what is the great motivating force for people of faith? What pushes us or motivates us to join God on mission? Here is the conclusion of our text. And listen for this motivating force. He writes, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, 
We try to persuade others, but we ourselves are well known to God. And I hope that we are also well known to your consciences. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all so that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, this is the word of God. Thanks be God. Well, that is a lot. <laughs> we all respond to different kinds of motivation, money, status, well-being, safety, security, fame, and if you're like me, food. But Paul says that people with the eyes of faith are urged forward into mission by the love of Christ. The perfect and universal love of the one who knew no sin but became sin, suffering, dying, and rising that every person could be freed and forgiven of its consequences. It's love that changes everything. It's love that makes all things new. It's the power of love that gives us the courage to face things and do things that would otherwise seem impossible. It was the love of Christ that allowed Paul to endure hardships that we might find unimaginable. The love of Christ urged Paul on. It propelled him forward in service free of constraints. Theologian N.T. Wright, when he was talking about this love, said this. He said the gospel is not just a mechanism for getting people saved. It's the announcement of a love that has changed the world. A love that therefore takes the people who find themselves loved like this and then sends them off to live and work in a totally new way. It's not a cold sense of duty. It's not about a fear of punishment, 
but a warm-hearted response to Christ's love, a love that reached down from heaven that touched each one of us, a love that surprises us, a love that makes things new. It's a love that reconciles us to God, reconciles us to the world and to each other, and perhaps more than anything, Paul wants this love to overflow as grace, pouring forth first from the Corinthians who he was writing this letter to, and now the Spirit requesting the same thing of us, pouring forth from us in order that the whole world might come to know of it as well. Now, reflecting on our world, which we've been doing quite a bit in the last few months, our world is one messed up and difficult place. These past few months have only highlighted that the world rarely resembles God's kingdom of mercy and love and justice for all people. The Corinthians were probably every bit as divided as we are today. We're as divided or unreconciled as we have been in our lifetimes. There's so much finger pointing, so much blame. Those who continue to suffer the most from pandemic and injustice are of course the most vulnerable people among us. The poor, the immigrant, and more often than not people of color. We also have these personal relational needs for reconciliation. I have multiple friends right now who, whose hearts are frankly just broken because of broken relationships. We find ourselves in really challenging times. Where is it that you see the need for reconciliation in your own life or in your neighborhood or your community or in the country? We know that there is more to this world than meets the eye. Paul wants us to see this truth and to look for these opportunities for reconciliation that abound all around us. The need for Paul's message of love and reconciliation is needed now more than ever. But the truth is we know that this type of work is really, really difficult work. I hope that we also understand that there is this sense in which reconciliation is always an ongoing work. It's never done. Like theologically, we would say we have been reconciled to God, that we are currently being reconciled to God every day, and that one day we will be fully reconciled to God. So the truth is that we understand we are both flawed but forgiven people. But it's the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ that drives us to join God in the work that God is already doing in the world. We are to be reconcilers ourselves. Paul says ambassadors of Jesus's love, a love that forgives, a love that reconciles, a love that makes things new. 
Paul might say to us today that there's more to our messed up world than meets the eye because God is present in it. God is with us in it. God's love is present in it. And Paul might even go so far as to say that you are present in it, that your overflowing love of and grace is present in it, that you are God's agent of transformation, that Lightshine Church is being challenged by Paul just like the Corinthian church was 2,000 years ago to become an agent of God's transforming love. And so God initiated all of this in Jesus, and our response to God's love is always the same. It's always to love as Christ loved. Paul wanted the Corinthians to recognize what God was up to in the world and then to choose to join in that work. Paul wants the same thing for us. God has entrusted, and this is one of the most beautiful things said in Scripture, God has entrusted us with the important message that something new has happened. The message is one that we have experienced firsthand ourselves, even as flawed but forgiven people. We know this love because we've been shaped by this love. We've been changed by it. That God loves us each one of us, and has provided the means of reconciliation in Jesus. And God wants the world to know that the love and forgiveness that we have experienced is for everyone. No exceptions to that. It even says the word Greek word there is like is cosmos. It's this is big for all are deeply loved of God. We're not just to speak of this love, but maybe more importantly, especially with the first part of the text that Chad read, we are to not just speak of this love, but to actually embody it, to become it, for that is how Jesus did it, welcoming one flawed sinner at a time into the kingdom and into community. Food may motivate me to exercise, but the truth is, as much fun as that is, it doesn't get me out of bed in the morning. But Paul's words of this kind of love made available to everyone, that, that gets me out of bed in the morning. That pushes me, or Paul's word urges me to find ways to share that message to embody that message with others. The challenge for us will certainly be how will we live this out in a world that is really hurting right now? How will you respond to this amazing love? How will you choose to be its ambassador? And then finally, how will we do this together? One way that immediately comes to mind that Pastor Jennifer has been talking about is purchasing those Target gift cards for the Westminster Free Clinic Wednesday, August 12th. 
passing them out to families with food, also baskets of food, families that are just desperately in need right now. It's one way that we can participate in the work that Paul is urging us to, all because of the love of Christ that has been shown first to us. May God's love so overwhelm you that you cannot help but share it and embody it with others. Amen.